we are really blessed today. Back when I first started pastoring, I was a youth pastor for 11 years. Uh, and then I got the opportunity uh, to become the lead pastor of a church I'd been a part of previously. And I was very excited and I started reading a lot of books and I had a friend hand me a book and say, you need to read this book before you begin your role as a lead pastor. And the book was a book called The Present Future. And it was by a man named Reggie McNeil. And I read that book and I could not put it down. And I tore that book apart and underlined it and, and it reshaped my thinking of what it means to pastor a church and to lead a group of people in the direction that God would have us go. And to really, it busted up a lot of paradigms that had kind of gotten lodged in my heart uh, over the years of who the church is really supposed to be and what we're supposed to be about. And really at that point, Reggie McNeil became kind of my pastoral grandfather from a distance through a book. Uh, now fast forward, I pastored that church for six years and then I moved to uh, Texas to plant Trilogy. And in that process of moving to Texas, I got a job with Leadership Network. And as a facilitator and then eventually uh, directing our next generation pastor leader groups. And in the context of that, I discovered that one of the other directors at Leadership Network was a man named Reggie McNeil. And I got to know Reggie personally, and he became really a, a pastoral grandfather to me personally, uh, and not just from a distance. And Reggie has had a huge impact on my life. He's had a huge impact on my pastoring. And I cannot tell you how excited I am today uh, that Reggie is with us to share his heart and to bring the message today. And Reggie, I can't tell you how much it means to me. Uh, that you were willing to reach out today and be a part of our service here at Trilogy. So welcome, Reggie. Glad, incredibly grateful to have you on board today. I think he's muted, so let me unmute you. There you go. You're good to go. Uh, people mute me all the time. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, most places I go, people mute or they or they mute themselves. You know, uh, in fact, if I were if I were you, this would be a good time to go get a cup of coffee or. <laughs> you know, uh, go out and check the lawn, see if if it's okay. I've I've heard me before. It's not that big a deal. I will say though, uh, and with that uh, warm introduction, it is true that anything Jeff knows that you agree with uh, and is good is something I taught him. And um, and if there's other stuff that you don't agree with, I mean, I I tried to tell him. I I did my best, but you know, it. it and I, I would like to say right now that years ago. Uh, I gave him my hair and, um, uh, you know, so I, I mean, I'm a little, this, this constant reference to grandfather image. Um, I'm a little, I'm, I'm a little, um, I don't know, de depressed right now, but I'll try to get through the next few minutes. Um, I'll get this out before they reel me back to the home. And, um, but anyway, so, so I, I am excited <laughs> to be here, whether I like it or not. And, I will also say that um, I'm very pleased to hear about all of your engagement, uh, your congregation, your your church with the community, because the, gosh, this pandemic has really catapulted the church into the position of being church and focusing on how do we church our way through life, which is a verb, instead of going to church, which is a noun and a destination and institution and all that stuff that nobody cares about, 
but boy, what you're doing, uh, you know, is, is really terrific. And so I really want to speak to that this morning. Um, I want to help you in uh, ways of being church. Uh, how specifically, how do you bring your best self to the service of other people? It is one thing to have uh, compassion and that's always a, a beginning place. And, and, you know, but it also requires capacity. And so bringing our best selves to the service of others is what I want to talk about. And I'm going to go with, a, a you know, where this whole thing about helping each other and all gets going out of Jesus' life. It's, it's an encounter he has with a religious person who's trying to pin him down. And then, of course, Jesus spins out this great story that a bunch of us know. I'm reading from Luke. And said, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up uh, to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And by the way, I want to stop right there because I grew up in a tradition where eternal life was something that happened when this life was over. It's, it's, it was like the next phase. That's not at all what this word is. Uh, this word for eternal here is a quality of life. It's the kind of life that Jesus uh, promises, I've come to give you life, an abundant life. So it's a quality and it starts right here. It's here and now. So what this guy's asking is, how do I get a life? I mean, how, how do I get a life that's full and abundant and all that? And he's really just setting up what, what the threshold is for that. So Jesus says, well, what's written in the law? You know, perfect uh, answer, uh, throws it back to the lawyer. How do you read it? So the guy says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbors yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you'll live. Again, that quality, not in the next life, right now, right here, right now. But he wanted to justify himself, this guy, you know, I have a follow-up question, you know. And he, so he asked Jesus, and who's my neighbor? And in reply, Jesus said, well, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, when he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead and, and besieged with coronavirus. A priest happened to be going down the same road and he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. He had to get to church. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, by the way, I'd like for you to notice that no, this guy in the in the parable doesn't get any help until somebody gets off their donkey. I, I just I just wanted to throw that in. If it would help you understand, I could use King James language. Anyway, so um, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him, went to him, bandaged his wounds, poured on oil and wine, put the man on his own donkey. They, oh, oh my gosh, took him to an inn, took care of him. The next day took out two silver coins, gave him to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Jesus said, well, the expert of the law said, oh, well, the one who had mercy on him. So Jesus said, go and think about doing this. <laughs> go and appoint a study group to figure out how this can't work and we're going to be sued. Go and, and if, no, go and do likewise. So in this story, you've got a person of compassion, but you also have a person with capacity. I mean, this Samaritan, he's got wheels. I mean, he's got transportation. He's got a first aid kit, you know, the oil and the stuff like that. He's got a credit card. 
that he leaves with a guy at the at the end. He's got uh, you know a relationship with the innkeeper. I mean, this this guy is ready to help somebody. So I want to I want to talk to you today about how are you best positioned to help folks. And I have seventy six questions that I would like to go over uh, with you over the next couple of hours as, as, you know, actually one of my goals is for everyone to disappear off the screen. That's the way we'll know church is over. And, uh, you know, Jeff, you've got to stay there. I don't care. Uh, it's your fault. But no, I actually, I boiled it down to five questions that I want to ask. And, and I would encourage you to ask yourself to make sure you're a person both of compassion and capacity. First off, what is it I want to do to help other people? You say, well, isn't that the whole point? I mean, what is it I want? I mean, in the story, I mean, in, in, in our lives, we run across needs, and Jesus said, you know, just, just do it. But I'm talking about really, for instance, when Melissa got started talking about the children's ministry and uh, the host families and safe families, I mean, and Jeff even commented, I mean, she just lit up, and she was ready to go, and frankly, I was ready to let her have the whole time. I mean, I, I'd rather hear her than what I've got. But anyway, so... Uh, but and by the way, uh, hearing Jeff and Melissa both, could I say that I'm moving this week? Uh, could I get some meals? Uh, and, uh, just a uh, just a thought. I didn't know if, how far y'all deliver. I, I'm a little bit. All right. So, so, uh, but you you know what I'm talking about here is not just the daily stuff, but what's the contribution you want to make over your life over the long haul? What what is it? Because we all have different kinds of things that that really energize our spirit. And I'd pay attention to two things. The first one is exactly that. What is it that when this topic comes up, you know, you just, you're just on. I mean, everybody else can be, you know, I think I'll go get a donut or this would be a good time to check email, but no, no, not you. Or they go to bed. I mean, you're ready to roll and uh, you, you have energy around that. Well, kind of pay attention to that because I think that's the way that the spirit nudges us. And when I deal with a lot of young people uh, and about their life, this is why it's important for younglings, uh, you know, to get a wide exposure to a whole bunch of opportunities frequently so they can begin to sense out where is it that my heart and my spirit just kind of wants to go to. I'll tell you something else that you can pay attention to that would, uh, that really is very telling. I would ask myself the question, what is it that breaks my heart? That is a big clue to probably where God wants to use you. I've got a friend, Jenny Christensen, moved from uh, Alabama in her mid-50s with her husband who took a job out in California, Sacramento area, uh, the Valley. She discovered, you know, all the sex trafficking, human trafficking that was going on. She goes to the state house there in California in Sacramento, knocks on the door, you know, whatever. Says, I want to help with whatever we're doing to stamp out human trafficking. This was about 12 years ago. And they said, oh, great, you're in charge. She said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I said I would help people. That I say, you see that long line of people behind you? Nobody else is standing here. So before it was a cool thing, before everybody was talking about it, before Jenny went to work helping young women come out of human trafficking. And so when I was with her out there, she had amassed like 1,500 people for this weekend conclave. She had, uh, she had uh, physicians social workers, uh, police officers, uh, child uh, care workers, uh, pastors, uh, and construction people. I'll tell you why they were there. Because Jenny figured out real early, one of the reasons these women are trapped 
is they've gotten uh, into this trade is they've got nowhere to go. And so she started working to build what she calls courage homes. In fact, you can Google that and I would recommend it while I'm talking. Um, you know, uh, courage houses, courage homes. She's doing this now around the world where she builds these places where eight different women can come out and their kids, they can have a safe place. Talk about safe families for younglings. This is a safe, exactly the same structure for people, women who need a safe place to come out um, of sex trafficking and their kids. And they have to scrub their identities. I mean, these people play for real. They scrub their identities. They give them job care stuff. About eight of these women live in a home. It's just amazing. Well, the reason we got to that is because that broke Jenny's heart. And so that triggered something in her to make a lifelong contribution. So just ask yourself, what is it that I have a natural uh, willingness uh, to, to work with, or what is it that just kind of grabs my attention or breaks my heart? I was out in, uh, in California doing a conference for a group. During the break, a woman came up to me and, and um, she said, you know what breaks my heart? And I said, this is an elderly lady. I said, no, and I thought I was fixing to hear some you know, life wisdom you know, of, of, from her observation deck. She said, what breaks my heart is that nothing breaks my heart. And boy, I th and I thought, wow, what an admission, what a transparency, what honesty, at least she could say. And then she went on to say, I live in my rut, I live in the bubble, I see the same people, we're all church people, we do the same things every week. Uh, I, I have the same, and she just went on and on. She says, I don't even see the need around me. Well, at least that opened her up for the spirit to do something in her life. So maybe as you're listening to this, say, I just really don't know. You know, be careful. I, if you pray this prayer, be ready for God to answer it. Lord, show me you know, what it is you want me to do. There's the second question. I got to hurry. Y'all are going to have to start listening a little faster, I think. All right. So the second question that uh, would I would ask myself is, all right, if I want to know what I want to do to help others, what behaviors do I need uh, to alter or change so that I can do it? Because I can tell you this right now, if you, if you don't, whether it's creating margin of time or money or whatever it is, something probably needs to change in your schedule and in, in your interest, in your hobbies, and you, something needs to make room for whatever it is that you want to do. Uh, I can tell you, if, if you don't do this, then your dream of what you can do to help others will become a nightmare of unmet op uh, opportunities and the enemy of your soul will beat you with it unmercifully, with a club, guilt and all that kind of stuff. You don't want to do that. You want to be like uh, Josh, this kid that I met. He's not a kid, he's a young man now, but when he met him, he was a kid, he was in college. And uh, he was a new Jesus follower, part of a church that Kathy and I were uh, had helped establish for collegiate uh, folks right here in Columbia, South Carolina. And uh, Josh, um, I, I'll just have to tell you bits of the story. I don't know how it happened. I, this part I don't know. But somehow Josh got on his mind as he traveled around for the sign company that he worked for, selling signs and stuff and banners, that kind of stuff something grabbed him over in the worst part of town. And I mean, where the murder capital and the drug infested area and Josh got, it got under his skin that a, a lot of young um, African-American boys had no masculine, positive masculine influence in their life. 
are very limited. Now, why this guy, it's, Josh is lily white, blue eyed. There's nothing about him, but, th but he was captured by this need for black boys. So he goes to this apartment complex owned by a slumlord in another town, and he just begins to hang out to meet the folks. Now this, I know this sounds a little creepy, Trust me, he, it's not. I mean, for two years, he built relationships. With, it took him two years to convince the folks there that he wasn't a narc. But he, he would talk to the moms at the bus station where they were waiting for their kids to come home from school and all that kind of stuff. Well, eventually, Josh recruited four of his friends from the church that he was attending, and they started a Sunday. They got the slumlord to give them an apartment for free. And Josh and his friends went in there, remodeled it, and started a Sunday school on Sunday night for these kids in this apartment complex. And it, and um, and, and then it went from there. It got two apartments, and it's it just gone on. To, and then he began to realize these kids need after school. This is not just uh, you know Bible study that these kids need. They need help with their education. So he started an after school program. And I'll just fast forward to the you know uh, to today. It's called Ezekiel Ministry. Again, you can look it up. But let me tell you what really sprung this from just an idea into the reality it is today, where he's got five or six, uh, he's in three locations. He has four to five teachers in uh, each location. He's helped kids uh, not only do well in school, but help them go on to college. And some of those kids are coming back now to mentor other kids in the program. It's just a beautiful thing. But Josh made an important decision about two years into this work. He called me up. He said, let's, can we have coffee? Yeah, sure. And he said, Reggie, I just feel like if this thing's going to take off, I need to quit my job and I need to give myself full time to this work. And I said, well, uh, Josh, what does that mean? And he said, well, here's what I talked to my boss about it. And my boss told me I needed to start a 501c3 so other people could contribute to this work. And, um, and my boss, uh, who was a Jesus follower, by the way, uh, he said, my boss said he wanted to be the first um, donor uh, to that 501c3 and, and to launch me uh, into this work. And of course, the reason we were having coffee is Josh anticipated that I would be a donor as well, which I have been. And so, you know, the truth is Josh made a really important decision. That, uh, that he changed his behavior. He said, I can't do this on the side. I have to do it full time. Now, I'm not suggesting that that's the only way you can follow your passion. It may just be that you give an hour a week. You carve out an hour and you go read. I mean, close to you uh, over there in Fort Worth. I know, well, it's not really close. It's a world away from you. But, but over in Fort Worth, get in touch with, you can look at the Read to Win program there where people are asked to give one hour a week to read to two kids. And, and, that, and we've got over 800 volunteers in the last school system uh, school, uh, before we shut school down and, and helping kids learn to put words to ideas and stuff. These young kids who have 2 million word deficits coming into school uh, and it's targeting first graders before they get so far behind and helping them make up the gap. So I don't know, an hour a week, a total change, but some behavior that needs to happen so that you can pursue your dream of how you want to help other people. I know there are many of you who have questions, but I don't want to take any questions. Just sit there and take this like good church people. Just try to act, uh, you know, give me some response. All right, the third question is you need to ask yourself honestly, what do you bring to the table? I mean, in terms of your talent, your skills, um, 
what is it that you, you I would I would assess those because what's in your backpack in terms of talent strengths is probably could be a really good clue. Cossack, what are you doing looking on your phone? I mean, here I am preaching my heart out and you, and you, you stop to take an email. I'm, I mean, my gosh, what is this world come to? Uh, and by the way, if I give you the address for the check yet, uh, this would be better if I was already paid. All right. So anyway, uh, one of the things I taught you, I don't know why you didn't pick up on that, but anyway, all right. So, 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 so okay. For, so for my first year marriage, I'm doing some graduate uh, studies at uh, uh, North Dow, uh, UTD. And, um, and I come in late from, you know, having been gone all day and, and Kathy, my bride says, I want to go see this new movie that's out. And I said, you know, what is it? Chariots of Fire. Now this dates me, of course, this is ancient movie history now, right, is, right this side of creation. But she said, uh, let's, I, I want, and I, I, I didn't know what it was. I thought it was a science fiction flick, but I didn't care. Kathy wanted to go see it. Here we go. So we walked up from our little duplex there in Kaufman, Texas, uh, to up up to the square where the old movie theater was, bought our refreshments, sat down. I threw my uh, my legs over uh, the seat in front of me. Now, not out of disrespect for the furniture there or anything, but because in that old theater, when the lights went down, stuff came out roaming around underneath the seats. I mean, you didn't want any body part hanging down. In fact, the refreshments you bought there, that was for the stuff that was running around you. And you didn't want to run out of refreshments before the end of the movie. I'm sure there were skeletons uh, there in some of the chairs as a reminder, buy, buy lots of refreshments, keep them busy. Well, anyway, so I'm, I'm laid back and I'm watching this great movie, of course, you know, about the uh, Scottish runner, Eric Little, uh, Jesus follower, magnificent film. And, um, you know, along the way, um, he does something, you know, crazy, like um, frivolous, like um, I think I'll just skip going into the family business, which was missionary to China. I'm going to do that to do something frivolous, like running the Olympics. Now, his sister um, didn't um, didn't appreciate this decision, so he takes her on a little stroll. Some of you, if you've seen the movie, you remember this, and and, she, and he's going to explanify things. Jenny, God made me for a purpose, but He also made me fast. And when I run, oh, this great line, when I run, I feel his pleasure. Oh my gosh, my feet hit the floor. I forgot where I was. It had never occurred to me that phrase. I didn't even know that was in the Bible. Psalm 149, verse four, part A, for the Lord takes pleasure in his people. I, I just became totally wrapped up in that thought for a moment. Time stood still. All of the, the deck reshuffled all the way back in my brain. I mean, I'd, I'd grown up in a tradition where I was very well versed on how I made God upset and how I kept him up nights worrying. But this idea that God could actually take pleasure in my life. Oh, it, it, I let me tell you how susceptible I am to ideas like that. I mean, when the movie was over that night, like 1030, I went jogging. I mean, I went out to the high school track and, and I decided I would run. Uh, I can tell you, I tried for two years jogging. I never felt God's pleasure. I don't know. I, the only thing that kept me going was ice cream uh, and, you know, vision. I've decided when I eat, I feel his pleasure. So anyway, uh, that's why buffets are just a chance for God to laugh out loud and just have a, a great time while I feast on this stuff. So, but, but the truth is your talent, what you're good at, that's the stuff that when you use that, you feel, man, that's what I'm most alive. Uh, th there's a reason for that. That's cause God's puffing wind into your sails, you know, say, man, that's what I made you for. 
And, uh, and that's, you know, that abundant life comes from using the gifts and the talents that God has given you. Uh, and so figuring out what you're doing, I, you know, uh, with all of my folks that I, I coach, we do a pretty good study on, you know, what other people say are their really, their good strengths and their, their talents so that they know how to use their time wisely. Good night. I looked on, I thought Melissa would never be quiet. So I'm, I'm short on, on time. All right. So, so, so the fourth question is what is my scorecard? You know, in other words, how will you know you're making a difference? Now, if you don't like the word scorecard, it's not a competition I'm talking about. It's kind of like, how do you celebrate the, the, the impact that you're having? I can tell you this, Hank, friend of mine, older than me, there aren't many of us left. And, uh, and so uh, Hank went on a Roman Catholic background, went with his daughter uh, to South America on a mission trip some years ago, spent the week with her, uh, and she was in middle school, uh, putting roofs on houses uh, down there that needed homes. He got so fired up with the experience. He comes back home. He quits his job. He takes early retirement. He starts homeworks. Uh, and, you know, uh, the last time I was with Hank, he had passed like 2,000 roofs here in Columbia uh, that he'd put on for folks who couldn't afford to repair their roofs. Every time it rained, stuff was coming in, you know, and all kinds of things. And he was using kids to do it. He had involved over 20,000 students in helping over 2,000 people get, uh, I mean, it's a remarkable story. Now, now, Hank, uh, I think I mentioned he retired early. Uh, he, he was an IRS agent. And, um, and so I told him uh, last time I was with him, I said, Hank, you know, and since he's Catholic, I said, with those 2,000 roofs, you've probably earned about two seconds out of purgatory. I said, you know, I mean, for all those people that you persecuted all the, uh, for years and years and years as an IRS agent. But the truth is, uh, <laughs> seriously, every single roof, I, I, I'll give you an example. So, so I went with him to one of his uh, week-long deals. He had like 30 middle school kids holed up at a church, spent the week there, camped out in the fellowship hall, bunk rolls and all that stuff. He would do nighttime devotionals. He would have morning prayers and they'd, get it, they'd, they'd split up and go with uh, their adult supervisors out to five different homes. And they worked on them all week, starting Monday morning. Uh, on Friday night, they would hold a banquet. Those same kids would prepare a meal and invite as the host, the folks whose roofs they had fixed uh, worked on all week and treated them to a meal, you know, to honor them. And so, oh, I mean, it changes kids' lives. I mean, for Hank, that was the scorecard. You know, both the roofs he was preparing and the kids that were coming alive. Uh, and the last question, I got to hurry. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm on East Coast time, so I've been thinking about lunch a long time. And so uh, it, it's time for me to get there. All right, one more question, though, before I, uh, you uh, you go, if you're still there. Um, I would ask myself the question, what do I need to learn? Because chances are, if you want to bring your best stuff to helping others, there may be something you need to learn to do. Uh, you know, Larry James right there in, uh, in Dallas started City Square uh, when he learned, uh, and he put this in his book, uh, The Wealth of the Poor, when he learned that, you know, you don't just do stuff for people, you do stuff with people that folks have resources just because they don't have money doesn't mean they don't have other resources. And, and it changed his whole perspective on, on how it is that we love our neighbors. And, and I mean, and, and homework, I mean, uh, uh, city squares helped over 2000 people, uh, you know, have housing 
uh, that were, you know, homeless. Uh, and Larry told a group uh, last time I was uh, took a group there to tour the, the deal. He said, we've discovered that the cure for homelessness is to give people a home. I mean, what kind of thinking is that? I mean, he doesn't, he obviously has not paid enough attention. No, you just warehouse people and hose them down with food and cots and blankets. And then you don't No, I mean, he's given. So what I'm saying is that is a learning that he made because he opened his mind to the capacity, to the possibility that maybe I've been thinking about some of this stuff in a way that's getting in the way. How can I really help? And I think that's all I want to say about that. But those five questions again, because there's a test coming on this. It's a pop quiz. You know, what do you want to do to help other people? What are the behaviors you need maybe to shift or bring into your life so you can do it? What do you really bring by way of talent and strength to it? What do you need? How will you know you're winning? Because if you don't motivate yourself with knowing what you're looking for, you'll, you'll, you'll run out of gas pretty early. And then what is it you, you need to learn? Now, I've got, I've got a story I'm going to end with. I don't care how much Jeff leans forward and tries to mute me and stuff on his computer. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to tell you one thing. So this kid grow, uh, grew up in North Charleston, which is very poor. Um, Tim was uh, uh, too much, too similar, story, too, too familiar story. Um, single mom, African-American community, poverty, uh, she's working three jobs, um, and uh, and he's right on the bubble, ninth grade, on whether or not he's going to stay in school, go forward or whatever. But his mama, who who did run the house, told him, go out and get a job, and you're going to stay in school. And so he went, and he got a job punching tickets at the movie uh, house there in Citadel Square Mall in, North, uh, in Charleston area. And it was right next to the food court. And so every Saturday when he'd go to work as a high school kid on the weekends, uh, he would go into the Chick-fil-A there and he would order French fries and water. Now the owner of that Chick-fil-A um, noticed this kid and um, uh, John, John Monitz. And, uh, and one day happened to be at one of the cash registers when Tim came up and, and made his usual order of French fries and water. And John said, son, uh, you know, we sell chicken here. Uh, would, would, you, would you like some chicken? He said, oh, this is all I can afford. And he turned and, and walked back out into the food court. John Monitz went and grabbed two chicken sandwiches and chased that kid out in the food court and, and sat down and said, hey, let's eat. And they begin to talk, and John just John began to mentor this kid every Saturday. This became a, a ritual, and and I could just help John help this kid, uh, helped him uh, become a Jesus follower, helped him get into college, uh, helped him start his first job, um, and when Tim Scott took the oath as senator, the first black senator from Reconstruction South and from South Carolina, when he took his oath of office, he thanked, he said, besides Jesus Christ, I want to thank my mama and John Monitz, who believed me. John had been dead 18 years by the time Tim took, never saw Tim rise to the level of being a senator, United States senator. My point is, you never know. You just never know what you, you know, that's the power of a chicken sandwich, you know, just 
just sharing and and making a contribution into people's lives. It is the way of Jesus. It is the way of the kingdom. It and it is the way not only to help other people have a life, but to get a life for yourself. Go for it. All right, Jeff, that's it. I can't take any more of this. All right. I want to add uh, one thing, and I'm not one of these guys that, you know, re-preaches the entire message at the end, and I'm not going to preach a whole other sermon. But I, I do want to add one thing, because some people are kind of, even with the questions that you gave, Reggie, some people are going to be sitting there like, I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. And how do I, I mean, I'm moved, I'm emotionally stirred, but how do I practically get involved in making a difference? And one thing I would say is that, and you've heard me say this phrase a thousand times trilogy, but God can't steer a parked car. Uh, If you're just sitting there doing nothing, it's hard for God to steer you and change your direction. And so get involved in doing something. And one of the first steps you can take is say, okay, what is my church involved with? What are we doing in the community? What are we doing to serve and come alongside Right. and hand a bag of groceries, uh, you know, serve a family that's, that's taking in kids and God can move your heart through that. And it may be in one of those directions. It may redirect you in a different direction, but that's one of the first steps that you can take is to get involved with something somebody else is doing and allow the Holy Spirit to move your heart through that. Any thoughts on that, Reggie? I just wish I'd thought about it. Um, you know, I would have added that to my, to my pitiful, I mean, not only have I been called a grandfather and I got to get over that now, my sermon was deficient. And uh, hey. so I, 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 I doubt there's much reason for me to continue. Uh, <laughs> of course, that's a great, that is exactly why the church, you're, you're helping, you're engaging com- in the community, builds on ramps for other people to come on. You're providing the on-ramps for your folks. Great, great, great insight, certainly. And, and I will say, you know, Reggie, you, you talked a lot about time. And it, our church will be the first to tell you that I have no concept of time when I'm preaching. So don't you worry about landing the plane on time because I haven't met a runway long enough to contain the plane <laughs> uh, when I'm yeah. in flight. Um, and so, and, and church, uh, obviously, Reggie made this abundantly clear, but God has gifted him in many ways. But one of the tops is the spiritual gift of sarcasm. And it's, uh, he's fluent in that love language. And so that's why he fits in really well with our church. Uh, but I uh, just wanted to say, uh, Reggie, uh, as we uh, you know, wrap up the message, uh, it has been a blessing to have you with us. And I really think this is not only a biblical message and a, a, a inspirational message, but I think it's a timely message for our church. Uh, this is this is a Kairos message for us because uh, I really feel that this is where our church is. I feel that God is moving us in this direction. I think a lot of churches, you referenced this at the beginning, that a lot of churches are being kicked out of the nest, so to speak, with regard right. we can't hide behind the, the walls of our building anymore. We're being forced to do something different. And, and I think our trilogy is at this point where we are ready to make a difference and an impact in our community. And we've begun to see that happen. And, and I'm really excited to see where God is going to lead our church, not through me and not through Melissa, but through the Holy Spirit directing all of us to move in the lane of our gifts and passions and see what kind of a difference and transformation we can make in the community around us. So Reggie, thank you for a very timely message uh, for our church today. 
Uh, well, I'm, I was honored to do it. I enjoyed almost all of it. <laughs> well, uh, guys, as we wrap up, I just want to remind you uh, once again of the different ways that we give at Trilogy and why it's important to give. Uh, you know, all of the things that we talked about today and the difference making and the opportunities to serve our community, we live in a world where resources are a big part of that. And so you may have uh, a way to contribute and a way to partner with what we're doing through your giving. Uh, obviously, there's the normal uh, operating expenses that keep a church going, that God uses its people uh, to continue to move the needle on that, but also in the difference making that we can make in the community and the different programs that we're taking on. And so uh, in the chat is uh, the link uh, to where you can give at Trilogy. Uh, and that it's real easy. Just give.trilogy.church is uh, the way that you can begin giving at Trilogy if you haven't given before. Another way that can take a step forward is to make that a regular part of your life and not just on a when I have some or when I feel a specific need. Those are great moments. But to make giving a regular discipline in our lives, one way to do that is to make your gift a recurring gift that will happen every month or every week or however you designate that. And there's an opportunity to do that as well. But I just can't tell you how important it is that we all come together through our generosity uh, to continue uh, to, to move the needle with regard to how God is going to use Trilogy you know, as we uh, move forward in our community, as we uh, find a permanent place for us to do church, all of those things, uh, it's important that we all join together in that. And really generosity, come, when it comes down to it, is not really what you can do with what God has given you. But generosity is really about how God can reshape who you are on the inside. And so uh, at the bottom line, generosity is not what we want from you. It's what we want for you. And it's, it's a biblical principle that God uses to shape us and help us to become more like Jesus. And so I want to encourage you in your giving today. But let me pray for us, and uh, then we'll, uh, we'll wrap up the service today. God, we thank you for our time together today. I thank you for the challenging and inspirational message that Reggie has brought us today. And I, I thank you for Reggie. I thank you for the gift that he is to the kingdom of God and how you have used him uh, on a national level uh, to help reshape who the church is and, and what we are called to do and to, to cause us to rethink uh, in a cultural setting of what we are called to do and what the church is called to be. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to lean into these thoughts that he's presented to us today, that God, we are not, not called to just do church on Sundays. We're called to be church every day. And Lord, to make a difference in the world around us. And God, to help people to see what the kingdom of God is supposed to look like. And God, I pray that you would bless him. I pray that you would bless Trilogy as we move forward in our efforts to make a difference in the lives of people around us. God, would you cause us uh, to move from our comfort zones, to move from our areas of safety and complacency, and God, to, to carry uh, that torch of difference making in the world around us that we would live into that rich and full and abundant life that you've called us to live and help others to see what that life looks like for them. God, I ask that you would do it, not so that we can make a name for ourselves, but so that we can make the name of Jesus famous in our communities. God, we thank you for the opportunity. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.